Imagine a vacation waiting outside your door when you get home. Discover a new way to escape the stress of everyday life. Picture soothing jets massaging your back, relieving all your aches and pains. Sleep soundly without medications or supplements. Call 1-877-861-4672 to get $1,250 in instant savings, including free delivery. Call 877-861-4672 now or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. We're excited to remind you that we are still working really hard to get Patreon all set and ready for August 1st. We are going to be launching with a bonus episode ready to go for our first patrons. If you are looking to support The Murder Diaries, but you're not looking for subscription-based support like Patreon, you can go ahead and tip us or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash mdiariespod. We appreciate each and every one of you who support us. It really helps us keep the show going. This week, we're bringing you a missing persons case. After a night with her boyfriend, 20-year-old Elaine Park went missing in January of 2017. She was seen on camera leaving his home in the morning. Text messages and other phone-related timestamps stopped not long after. That's the last evidence of Elaine alive. Her car was found five days later on California's picturesque Pacific Coast Highway, but the road to Elaine was a dead end. This is her story. Elaine Park was born September 24th, 1996. She was raised in La Crescenta, California with her family, which included her mom, dad, and her little brother. To paint the picture, La Crescenta is a small town in LA County's idyllic Crescenta Valley. It's not far from Pasadena, and it borders better-known Glendale to its south and La Cañada to its east. As of the 2020 census, La Crescenta was home to just under 20,000 people. So, in California terms, this is a smaller town. Elaine's family friend tells us a little bit about her in her interview for IDs Missing. She says that Elaine, quote, had a genuine passion for art, for acting, music, and dancing. Daily Breeze mentions that Elaine performed small roles in shows like Desperate Housewives, ER, and Mad TV. They go on to explain that Elaine performed in multiple dance companies and musical theater as well. According to Cold Case Detective, Elaine was a social butterfly, making, quote, friends with just about anyone. In her preteen years, her earlier adolescence, if you will, her parents did get a divorce, and she ended up splitting time between them, but she lived with her mom. Elaine went on to graduate from Crescenta Valley High School in 2014. While she was at Crescenta Valley High School, she was on the cheerleading team. She eventually made cheer captain as well. She was also part of Christina Valley's song team and the theater program. In her spare time, she enjoyed writing songs, mostly raps. So given this, the song team, cheer, theater program, she clearly enjoyed performing. 
Moreover, Elaine loved creating in general. She would sketch and dive into fashion and makeup as well. She sounds to be a truly creative soul who dabbled in so many different fields of the arts. After graduating high school, Elaine attended Cal State Northridge. At the time of her case in 2014, she was actually said to either be attending Pierce College or about to start attending Pierce College, which is a community college. There really isn't much detail or information out there as to why Elaine was switching from Cal State Northridge to Pierce College. But of course, a choice like this could open up opportunity for her to transfer to a different university, to save money, to fix up a GPA, to catch back up on coursework, and so much more. Another change that was going on for Elaine is that she had just moved back in with her mom. I'm not sure exactly how recently when it comes to when her case started, but it was a more recent change. She had moved out and now she had moved back in and she was also switching colleges. To get more into Elaine's story, we have to talk about July 27th, 2015. That evening, Elaine went to a concert at the Orange County Observatory with some of her friends. She and her friends ended up being invited backstage by one of the touring managers. They accept the invitation and they go backstage. Elaine's friends were ready to leave a little bit before her. So Elaine stayed behind. And during that time, she was under the influence of alcohol and Xanax. Despite a hazed memory, Elaine eventually started to put together that while she was under the influence, she was sexually assaulted. She keeps it to herself at first, not knowing what to do with these fears and blurred recollections. Now we fast forward one year later. In July of 2016, Elaine was in a car accident with her friend at the wheel. There ends up being an insurance settlement that comes of this and chiropractor visits that begins some arguments and tension in her relationship at home with her mom. That's really all I'd like to include in this episode on that because it's a family matter and this mother is grieving and mourning her missing daughter. Elaine's mom has even told the LA Times, quote, losing a daughter is the hardest thing a mother can experience. The uncertainty is the worst part, not knowing what happened. In earlier November of 2016, she began seeing the son of a successful film and music producer. We'll call the boyfriend D. He lived in Calabasas, which is a good 30 minutes or so southwest from La Crescina, where Elaine had been living with her mom. It's around this time in December of 2016 that Elaine blocks and or unfollows many of her childhood friends on social media, sort of distancing and withdrawing from them in a way. While this is all going on, the memories from the July 2015 concert begin to become more clear. So she reaches out to the touring manager to ask if he recalls anything that might confirm Elaine being sexually assaulted that evening. His response, not verbatim, but in essence was no, but he wouldn't be surprised. Elaine then took to Twitter on December 28th, 2016, according to The Real Tammy Show and Cold Case Detective documentary. Elaine tweeted as followed, quote, I was raped and nobody gave me closure about it and I didn't remember it. So I didn't remember the pain. I just dropped it and never spoke. It was up until last year that I realized I was losing my peace of mind and the only way to strengthen myself is to forgive myself and shed light. I used alcohol as a way to numb myself and begin lowering myself to how I was that night, but I realized my mistakes don't determine character. I understand rape is a word people don't like seeing on timelines, but awareness is the first step to healing and progressing before anything. I'm not making it a legal matter because the more important weight of the situation is that I stay true to myself and find my self-justice. The recent depths I have realized made me come face to face with myself, and I had to accept that if I won't stand up for myself and women, nobody else will. It was ultimately my decision that resulted in my mistakes. I blame no one. The important part 
is I can finally take care of myself right. I was so ashamed to be sexual in any way or express myself, but damn, I'm cute as hell and it's time I treated myself like the queen that I am. As for the rape, the people involved know damn well who they are, but I don't fight fire with fire. I've forgiven, so now I can move on. Nobody assesses things that are never brought to focus. Ladies, be sexually liberal. Embrace and love. Just put a price on it. Value yourself. End quote. So we know she's shutting out old friends and there's some tension at home. What about the boyfriend? Well, there were some things going on there too. On January 3rd, 2017, Elaine broke it off with D. She stated in a text, quote, I love you enough to let you go and see you do good for yourself. I need this year to really invest in myself right now. So I'm going to grind and spend time alone until I can get myself real right. We can both improve, you know? I appreciate everything you've done for me. You really taught me a lot about myself and showed me my value when nobody did. And I'm never going to forget that. I wish you knew how I see you through my eyes. My heart has a real special place for you. After this breakup, rightfully so, Dee was devastated. And this is seen in other text messages that they've exchanged. Within a few weeks, the pair rekindled their relationship and they were ready for a night out together by January 27th of 2017. Before she headed over to Dee's house, Elaine's friend popped by to pick up her curling iron that Elaine had. She then, of course, drove to Dee's in Calabasas, leaving her house around seven or so. The plan for the night was that Dee and Elaine were going to see a movie at 1045 at the Woodland Hills AMC. And then after that, Elaine was going to be staying at his place, which was the back house of his parents' house. Elaine never made it back home from this night, though. And by the 31st, her mom was making an official missing persons report with the Glendale PD. The police start their investigation by speaking with Dee. He says that Elaine arrived to his house at around 8 p.m., which cold case detective reports as 8, 10 p.m., and then they went to that 1045 movie at Woodland Hills AMC. In between that 8, 10, and 1045 time slot, we also have text messages from Elaine at 9.04 to her mom regarding $20 that she owed her. Home security footage also shows the pair leaving for that 1045 movie, shows them leaving at around 10.20, 10.30. They had gotten an Uber, they're seen on that same camera returning in another Uber at 1.30 a.m. The private investigator working the case says that the Uber drivers were spoken to and they confirmed that everything seemed fine. Nothing was off about the couple during their ride. At 3.20 a.m., Elaine was awake and she checked her Twitter, Snapchat, and other social media. This is where the case takes a peculiar turn, though. Dee tells investigators that Elaine woke up around 4 a.m. in an altered state. To quote the friend on IDs missing, Elaine began, quote, singing and dancing around and wanted to leave. Cold case detective says Dee described her as, quote, shaky and distressed, singing to herself, but not speaking. Also, according to the family friend, this type of behavior was not normal or historically common for Elaine. But at any rate, Elaine wanted to leave, and that's what she did. She left. Dee never really got a true explanation as to why Elaine was in such a panic or why she wanted to leave. But at 6.04 a.m., she's seen once again on the home security footage leaving. At 6.07 a.m., Elaine's car is seen leaving Dee's gated community. You can really only see the car or the license plates, but not inside the car. The camera was really just a plate reader to track who was coming in and out of the neighborhood. At 6.28 a.m., Elaine's phone begins sharing its location with Dee. 
in their text message thread, it reads, you began sharing your location with D January 27th, 6.28 a.m. For those not super familiar, you can do this pretty easily on an iPhone. Within your text thread, you can click on the contact and then click share my location. It allows the contact you share it with to see on a map where you are in real time. When you do this, you also get an option of how long you want to share your location. You can choose an hour, end of day, or indefinitely. None of the resources, unfortunately, state how long the location was set to share with D. But anyways, as The Real Tammy Show explains, this doesn't mean that Elaine dropped a pin or anything like that. Just somehow, the Share My Location feature was turned on for D. At 7.13 a.m., cookies on Elaine's phone show that she was listening to music using the Pandora app. At 8.51 a.m., Elaine's mom texts her with no response back. At 9.28 a.m., Pandora issues its auto, are you still listening prompt. From 10.13 to 10.15, D calls Elaine three times. No answer. At 1.10 p.m., the same friend that picked up her curling iron tries to get in touch with Elaine no answer. 1.33 p.m., D tries to call Elaine again, twice. No answer. 1.36 to 1.42 p.m., Elaine's mom tries to call her a few times. Just before midnight, January 28th, leading into the 29th, Elaine's mom calls Christina Valley Sheriff's Station to report her missing. It's recommended to her to wait another day before making the report. According to Cold Case Detective, when asked if Elaine had run away before, it was reported that she had run away before. Despite taking that recommendation to wait another day before reporting her missing, her mom was, of course, concerned. Because, remember, Elaine owed her $20 and she still hadn't paid that back. Cold Case Detective explains that Elaine had indeed promised to pay that $20 back. And since she hadn't yet, it really just didn't sit well with her mom, and rightfully so. Finally, on Monday, January 30th at 9.40 a.m., Elaine's mom calls the friend that picked up her curling iron to express concern and probably to ask to see if she'd heard from her, that sort of thing. I'm not sure of any more information on that phone call, but we do know that by 11.48, her mom reaches back out to the Christina Valley Sheriff's Office that she called Saturday night, as well as the Glendale Police. At 4.25, they arrived to Elaine's house. Part of their procedure here was to call Elaine's dad to see if he had heard from her. This is the first time that her dad had heard that she was missing. And no, he hadn't heard from her at all since Friday, the 27th. Then on February 2nd, a big break comes in the case. Elaine's mom and her boyfriend go to Dee's house. Dee and his family still had no idea where she was. This prompted Elaine's mom and her boyfriend to head to Lost Hills Sheriff's Station. Elaine's phone was then pinged. The last ping on Elaine's phone comes at 3.42 p.m. on January 28, 2017 from the Coral Canyon Road cell tower in Malibu. This led the investigators from Lost Hills to the Dark Canyon area of Malibu. Yes, the same Dark Canyon that Mitrice Richardson, whose case we covered last week, went missing from. There are other people who are still missing from this Dark Canyon area as well. To set more of a stage, Dark Canyon is in the Santa Monica Mountains on the outskirts of Malibu and connects it to Calabasas. The entrance to Malibu Creek State Park, in which Dark Canyon lives in, is in Calabasas. The New Yorker uses a wildlife scientist term to describe the area. 
They call it the Wildland Urban Interface. So what did they find once they got to Dark Canyon following the ping on Elaine's phone? Well, what this phone ping truly led Lost Hills investigators to was Elaine's 2015 charcoal Honda Civic. More specifically, Elaine's car was found near the 26,000 block of Pacific Coast Highway, better known as PCH. It was just south of Coral Canyon Road, which makes sense because if you remember, Elaine's phone pinged at the Coral Canyon cell tower. I should also mention that this area is about 20 or 30 minutes from where Dee's house was, which again was the last place she was seen alive. Let's talk a little bit about Elaine's car. As the private investigator puts it, the car was in a, quote, odd state. It was unlocked. The keys were in the ignition with the power on, but the engine wasn't. So we can call this the electrical on position, if you will. As one can imagine, after so many hours of being left with the power on, the car's battery was completely dead. Besides that, there wasn't really much else going on with the car. There weren't any signs of forced entry or foul play, blood, nothing like that. According to Serene from the RealTammyShow.com's quote, ultimate timeline and ElaineParkIsMissing.com, inside the car, they found her duffel bag, a backpack, her computer, her iPhone 7, Elaine's older, broken iPhone 6, and $37 in cash. The way her family friend describes to IDs missing, quote, everything was laid out. The computer was set perfectly. The phone was perfect. It almost looks as if it was placed, end quote. She also expressed puzzlement about the money being exposed in the back seat. All these items and the vehicle were released pretty quickly to the family, according to the local Malibu. I was able to speak briefly with a team member from ElaineParkIsMissing.com. They explained, quote, Glendale police had the car and Elaine's belongings for roughly four days before releasing them back to Elaine's family. They have not disclosed what level of forensic testing was performed during that time, end quote. According to the local Malibu, law enforcement began to theorize that Elaine died by suicide. They go on to explain that the immediate theory was that she, quote, wandered into the ocean, end quote, thus leading to an end of her life. Elaine's mom discloses that after her divorce with Elaine's father, Elaine did have depressive experiences, but there was nothing ever mentioned about suicide or suicidal ideations that were ever brought up or explored. The private investigator echoes this, saying that it doesn't appear that Elaine ever gave, quote, any indication that she wanted to harm herself, end quote. Police did end up moving off that original theory of suicide, and they began to believe that foul play could have been involved in her disappearance. Dee was ruled out as a suspect and was known as cooperative from the start. He was actually officially cleared uh, by Glendale police in March of 2017. Also in March, on the 2nd of 2017, Elaine's Facebook account was signed into and all of the information was deleted. On March 10th, a massive search happened in Calabasas for Elaine, but nothing turned up. And by March 21st, Elaine's insurance case from the car accident I mentioned earlier was settled and her estate received a check for $5,000. In May of 2017, cadaver dogs ran through the park home, but no new clues were found and her family as well as Dee remained non-suspects. Elaine is still missing, and there is currently a $275,000 reward, $25,000 for information regarding her whereabouts, and $250,000 for a subsequent arrest. At the time of her disappearance on January 28, 2017, 
Elaine stood at five feet, six inches tall. She identified as a Korean American female with brown eyes and brown hair. She was born September 24th, 1996, and was 20 years old when she went missing. She was wearing jean shorts, black Doc Martin boots, and a white hooded sweatshirt. Elaine also has a few identifying tattoos. She has a cow skull and a butterfly on her upper left arm. She has a dagger tattoo on her lower right arm and a rose tattoo on her left shoulder. If you have any information as to the whereabouts of Elaine, please call 818-473-0611. You can also email tips to help find Elaine Park at protonmail.com. That's where we'll leave this episode. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries pod on TikTok and Instagram at themurderdiariespodcast.com. And don't be a stranger. You can drop us case suggestions at themurderdiariespodrequest at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and give us five stars. It helps us keep the good content flowing. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.